Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Hey, it's Monday, April 3rd, 2020. Two, three. And my ears are about to blow off. Jesus Christ, that is loud. Let me turn that down. Hi, everyone. Welcome. It's time for Morning Combat. My name is Luke Thomas. I am one half of your hosting duo. I normally join you from the capital, the Estados Unidos in Washington, D.C., but not today. Live from sunny Fort Lauderdale, Florida, I'm Luke Thomas. That's Brian Campbell, the King of Connecticut. It's time for Morning Combat. Hi, BC. How are you? I'm doing great. Just two washed dads trying to fit in in South Florida. It's, uh, it's working out great so far, but uh, happy to be here. Uh, they treat us great, Luke. It's, you know, it's just fantastic. I mean, the coffee machine is incredible so far. You know? I didn't get a chance to sample that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and we spent yesterday, Luke getting a big taste of Broward County right in the mouth. You know yeah, we saying? did. We did. We saw Phil DeRue over at DeRue Strong. We, we almost to... didn't see Phil DeRue, the one of, one of us. Though. So I flew to the wrong airport. Yeah, that was not smart. We had a car waiting for him, you know. We're like, he should be here any minute now to start this interview. And then, you know, Luke's like, I'm actually not in the United States at the moment. <laughs> sorry, guys. Sorry, we had a mishap. Guys, did you need me? I'm in Slovakia. Sorry, I'll be back. Uh, and when we made it work out. I got there and we, we, we had a fun time. We talked to him. His gym was great. We got to see uh, Jake Bostwick. The BKFC star. BKFC star who has um, aggressive tattoos. Yeah. Aggressive tattoos. Very but nice a very guy, nice though. guy. Very yeah. nice guy. No, we're going to have a Room Service Diaries with Phil DeRue of DeRue Strong out in the future. And we got some great content to pair with that that we're filming this week here in South Florida. I'm fired up. You know, Room Service Diaries, pregame previews. Look, we're, we're coming. Okay, we're coming. Yeah, we got a lot of fun stuff headed your way. We'll be here today as well as tomorrow and on Wednesday. So Wednesday's show will be here as well. We have a lot to get to. Of course, we have this massive news about the UFC and WWE. We'll start the show with that. We're going to get to the weekend recap. We had PFL, Bellator, Gamebred, Anthony Joshua uh, fighting over the weekend. And then, of course, why are we in Fort Lauderdale? Well, that's where our, our bosses have an office. But also, yes. it's because UFC 287 is this week. So we'll talk a little bit about that as it well. It is hot as balls. I don't know if we can say that on this show, but da it is. You know, Danny on Friday's show was like, oh, man, you got to go to South Florida right now. It's like yeah. the time is great. Like, it's like, you know, low 70s. Danny, it's not low 70s, my guy. <laughs> It's hot as fuck. I got off the... Whoa, whoa. can we clean it up? Oh, there, sorry. Please? Yeah, I know. We're at CBS. You're, like, nice you're like, JC bomb check, F word. There we go. Right, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'll, I'll try and clean it up. But the one point I wanted to make was, BC, I got off the airplane in Miami, and then you have to take that little tram to get to baggage claim. Yeah. Yeah, I was sweating like I was on the witness stand and just lying the entire time. It was... You were like Cato Kalen, right? <laughs> I'm not that much of a freeloader, I hope. Uh, but all right. By the way, doing OJ jokes in 2023, <laughs> I mean, still, really? It still works. You know How many people watching this show know who Kato Kalen is, the house guest of OJ Luke, Simpson? You should see what Luke does when he talks to our staff. Anyone younger than us, he'll always be like, it's not your fault. You probably don't remember this, but it's not your fault. Back in the Gulf War, you know, it's like, okay, dude, like they may have studied that in school. All right. Did you know what I was talking about when You're I like, talked it's about not the, your fault. Hold on, hold on. Back up. Let's back up a step. You know? The thing I mentioned about the Gulf War yesterday, had you heard of that? Uh, no. Right, no. okay. Point, the point Yeah, the point but, but it, didn't, it, didn't, it didn't change me, though. Well, you're just not a very curious person. Uh, okay, so thumbs up if you're watching on YouTube. Please hit subscribe. Thank you so much for joining us. We greatly appreciate it. I'm trying to see if we have anything here to tease. Oh, oh, oh yes, we do. Cameo.com slash Brian Campbell. You want to you you hit up my uh, only pipes. Look, I meet, I meet the nicest people, right? People from Iceland. I mean, I, I, just, I love it. I love getting to reach out and touch my fans in, in, a, in a safe and consensual manner. You know, that's great. Is, is this more or less justified than 
me asking for donations on the super chat. I think I give a much better value than you. That's really where I'm upset again at you for. You know what well, I mean? Right. Well, build an audience, and then you can charge them for it. You know what I'm saying? Hey, I'm ready to go head to head live chat. I'm ready to take MK Nation and use them to bury you. It right? won't work. It won't work. If you, but but that you can say that from a lofty position. But are you willing to step into the ring and find out? I've been doing it for the last 15 years. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. I was told let's not go head to head. It's bad for business. I didn't say that. Although, I mean, it would be kind of weird to do that. I mean, I'll just point it, that out. Yeah, but, you know, it's, you know, hey, big news with evil empires merging together. You yeah, know what I mean? let's, let's get let's to it transition. here. So a reminder, of course, if you want to get anything related to the show, you can go to morningcombat.store. I don't know if we have the graphic here in South Florida for the um, podcast award, but uh, sports podcast, I think, group.com, best combat sports podcast. You can vote for us there. It yeah? might even be sportspodcastawards.com for the voting. Possible. Yeah, I may have given the the wrong. I don't have either the way. Look it up. Uh, well, yeah, we're up for best uh, combat sports. Glad I have against, that ready against some heavy heavy hitters. Uh, did you say our merch morningcombat.store? Morningcombat.store. I did that. I mean, look at this golf shirt. I don't really golf, but you could wear this out with your boss and make sure you let them win because people high up, Luke. The higher they get, the the softer they are. The big the you know, the big ego. I mean, we got two big egos that sat down at the same table and said. Let's break bread together. We did. All right, so let's kick off the show here. We'll start with topic number one, if we can. This is obviously massive news. So yesterday, CNBC reported, it's since been confirmed, that Endeavor, the parent company of the Ultimate Fighting Championship, is going to purchase the WWE, yes, the Professional Wrestling uh, Corporation. Now, the way it will work is two major components to understand. Number one, they're actually not purchasing the entirety of the WWE, just 51%. The shareholders, existing shareholders, and yeah, and Nick Khan essentially. Nick Khan's still going to run WWE. Who is Nick Khan for folks who may not know? Nick Khan is uh, you know breakthrough sp uh, sports broadcasting agent that became the go-to negotiator in terms of big businesses like WWE TV deals from sitting down you know with USC and allowing G GSP to come back ahead of the Bisping fight. He played a big role in Mayweather Pacquiao getting, um, and now obviously is the uh, CEO of WWE and really turned them in a position to be ready for a sale like this. The hierarchy and structure is going to be Nick Khan running WWE, Dana White running UFC, Vince McMahon being the one above them that they would essentially report to as the executive, you know, assistant vice president, however you want to say it, to one Ari Emanuel. So, All right, and one more component here. So as part of the deal, what they had said yesterday was the UFC and WWE, still under Endeavor ownership, obviously, are going to form a separate publicly traded corporation. We don't know the name of that yet, but the value, and this is huge, is over $21 billion. Through the sale, the evaluation of the WWE was reached at $9.3 billion. And UFC, ready for this? Remember, they sold for $4 billion in 2016. According to the sale, they're valued at $12.1 billion. Wow. They have tripled in value, apparently, in seven years. So, Brian, let me go to you first on this as we have set this all up. What does this mean for UFC? What does this mean for WWE? What does it mean for Endeavor? It's hard on a, on a short-term basis to try to assign, okay, what changes will you see that will show the impact of this? It's obviously more about big business and, and power and joining together and aligning. You know, could there be some legitimate type of entertainment crossovers involving the roster of UFC and WWE in the future? Obviously, that, that's going to be a lot easier along with the, the constant promotion of, of each other on their respective brands. And let's not forget WWE's value of that consistent 
consistent cable number one rating spot of Raw on Monday night and SmackDown Friday nights live on Fox. And those broadcast deals are coming up too. So it's more about power and big business than how much will your week-to-week MMA change. Not a ton right away. It will be interesting to see, though, how these brands ultimately merge together in certain ways where it makes sense and what that will be. But this is a monster power move within the sports broadcasting landscape. All right, so I don't... At large, you know? All right, I don't watch professional wrestling. Tell me, uh, help me understand, why would Vince McMahon want to make this deal now? Look, it hasn't been without tumult of late for Vince, who had that very public sexual scandal and had to pay back. It wasn't one sexual assault scandal, or it was, you know, there were numerous issues. And, uh... And at the same time, Dana with the... I mean, look, the, the way that... You can't not... See, you have to be impressed. The P- Patrick Whitesell and the R.A. Manual purchasing this brand six years ago and then taking it from that $4 billion sale price, which we a lot of people criticize and say, wow, they shot for the moon. That's not worth that. To see what they've did in that time is insanely impressive. And to turn it around to this value. WWE is still just this consistent cable uh, magnet and deliverer in that regard. And what was the, the theme of the question you asked me? Um... Why would Vince McMahon do it now? Oh, because he had that scandal, and I think that that sped up some idea of of what is the end plan. And you know, you can make the, the comparisons to the show Succession, and there's always been this idea of what would it look like. You know, would, we know Vince is such a hard worker and is going to work until his final day. We know that, but you know, would it go to the family? This is a power move by Vince. I think he's trying to say publicly in the in the lone interview that was done with him and Ari on CNBC that you know the recent allegations against him and the whole scandal where he had to step down and now he's back that that didn't play a part in in speeding up or wanting to do this deal. But I think Vince wants uh, always to make history, always to be a part of that next big thing and be ahead of it. And I think for him, this allowed him to retain a hell of a lot of control, not day-to-day creatively, but in a larger picture in, in where he's at. And he's making a monstrosity amount of money in selling this right now. So I think Vince got a taste of what it could be like when it all falls apart and he doesn't have control anymore when he was forced to step down and we didn't know, is his family going to take it the distance? Is Triple H going to, you know, son-in-law going to step in and be there? Now he gets to do it on his terms. And I think if you know the competitor in Vince McMahon, that matters. This is a, just like when Vince launched WrestleMania and changed, you know, the, the pro wrestling landscape in the 80s by going national, just like what he did in, in a lot of the big hits he's had through the years, you know, bringing his product to, to streaming way early when he was criticized. Obviously, this, the track record for success is there. So I think, Luke, this is just a, po- a late power move where he doesn't have to walk away and retire. He's merging with people that he, that he considers just as brilliant. So, I mean, look at the relationship well, here's Vince had for years with, with, with Dick Ebersole at NBC. He's, he's had these power play partnerships before, but why would he want to give it up right now? Because I think he gets the best of all worlds. He gets to be a part of this record-breaking deal and still be a, have a seat at the table. Yeah, I mean, I just don't... I guess from my perspective, I don't understand why he sold when he had... He was already... He was, my understanding was, and again, I'm not... This is not my, my forte. My understanding was he had the sexual assault issues. He got bounced from the company. Uh... Triple H, I don't know what his real name is, and Stephanie McMahon. Paul Levesque, yeah. Yeah, we're supposed to take over control, and he basically backdoored his way in through the board, as I understand Under the guise of, let me help you prepare this for a sale. Right. The, the big reason, Oh, I see. That was that. So that. Right. Okay. 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 So I didn't realize that was another component of it. Okay. And there was a lot of switch up behind the scenes and a, and a lot of stuff going on, but this is an insane power move for me. Right. So you asked me why would you want to do it? Yeah. The history involved, the money involved. And he still gets to be here at 77 in a major but spot. But no, I guess, okay, so let me ask a different question. And this is really important. It's less Vince-specific. Sure. 
Why is this a good deal for WWE? Is the idea that, well, hey, look, look what happened to UFC. Endeavor purchased them. They were able to triple in value. They are now, I mean, they were already the dominant player prior to that in the mixed martial arts space. They are now dominant with a bullet. Certainly WWE had the similar kind of market position, although I guess AEW is a bigger competitor than what UFC has on the MMA side. So I guess what I'm saying is, why is this, if, if you're the WWE, what would you say about why this is a good deal for that business? Uh, the infusion of an insane amount cash. of cash, the idea that you become even more legitimate because you're joining with such monster powers. And I think Vince has a trust having, look, Ari Emanuel used to represent Vince as an agent. He used to represent the WWE brand at times. So this is a long partnership, and they talked about that in that interview, which had these superpowers coming together kind of almost, you know, hilarious feel there and we'll get to believe me we'll get to Vince's mustache in a second but this is a monster power move to, to become even more mainstream and legitimate which is what WWE is always fighting for at the end of the day always right they don't just want to be a flash of wow we've got this great big Wrestlemania event with a celebrity and wow I know you care everybody cares and then we fall back and we're just wrestling again they want to be up there in an entertainment level you know, with, with Disney, with everything else on there. So I think this allows them to align with people who can help elevate them with, again, not taking away the, the creative control at the end of the day. What is the model Ari has successfully shown? That he can partner with Dana White without being overbearing to, to hurt the product in a negative way. Obviously, financially, what they've done is so impressive and gangbusters, but look at the trust that Dana, you know, is able to retain in terms of the vision going the right way. I think this is the right timing in terms of from WWE standpoint. If somebody's not going to come in here and just ruin it and put a stain on it and change the way we do things, they'll work with them and go even further. I mean, it, it's, I mean, that's look the con people conglomerating. That's sort of where things are in the larger landscape. But this is a power move. Just okay. The same. So I got two questions: one about Endeavor and one about UFC. Let's start on the UFC side, and this is something I saw on Twitter a lot. Here was my initial thought. My initial thought was: we're four months off of the scandal involving the Ontario. And other, there was like I think two Canadian provinces that temporarily suspended UFC betting. Now that's not related to professional wrestling, of course, in any capacity. It's related to the James Krause scandal. But what it underscored, at least temporarily, was the Canadian regulators at the time had at least a question about the authenticity of the product based on the, the crazy betting and the, the Krause yeah. scandal. They have since obviously reallowed it. But what I mean to say is, if you're the UFC, you have to be conscious of the reality that there needs to be some some kind of firewall yeah. between UFC and WWE for product authenticity sake, right? It's but, the main reason why you've never seen a pro sports franchise in Las Vegas until now. It's right. that same reason. Right. So, um, that seems intuitive, but then I had Ant Evans, who used to work at UFC, who, who tweeted me. I forgot to respond. I'm Ant, sorry, Ant. Ant starts fires on Twitter. Well, he was, he was actually, I don't think he was uh, trying to, he made a good point. He was like, right, you mean like the same firewall between UFC and Power Slap? It's like, right, there was zero firewall there. Now, granted, that is regulated by the Athletic Commission. That is at least in the UFC's view of sport. BC, what in all of these broader, con con uh, con uh, I would say, concerns that someone like me has, what does this mean for the UFC product beyond just a promotional extra boost? Right, because to pair with the questions you asked about what does WWE get, what does both brands get? The opportunity to weave their audiences into one another. And, and they very both have similar audiences. very strong audiences in that younger demographic that everybody's shooting for and the loyalty 
of both audiences too. Like brand loyalty is on big there. But you asked me specifically here. Like, um, what does it mean? For, like, what, what does UFC get out of this, if anything, besides besides just a promotional boost? Yeah. What does it mean I, for the product? I mean, the promotional boost is huge and can't be overstated. I think if you're a hardcore UFC fan, should you have some level of concern on what we've seen of late is the reliance on the ESPN broadcast deal for UFC to ultimately dictate the larger terms and decision-making of their own matchmaking. So what you've seen is not as much dependency on making the very big fight, but just trying to have a consistent product across the board. Sometimes you can complain that's led to watered-down matchmaking. There's also been a larger... Uh, look, we, we kind of nailed it without knowing exactly what was going to happen. It's not that this idea wasn't out there, that people were saying, hey, maybe Endeavor will buy it. You know, there was, of course, up, uh, uprage of the potential of Saudi Arabia buying this uh, product, WWE. But um, we kind of saw it coming in some degree of, look at all the price gouging of late, look at all some of the decisions we made. It feels like 2016 all over again, right ahead of that sale. Now, this is a different kind of sale because you, they're buying and bringing in the WWE. But for UFC, if you have a fear as a hardcore old school fan, it's that this is the full sellout. This is the full Disneyfication of this cage fighting brand, you know, which people love it because it's raw and pure and it's competition and it's violence and it's packaged in such a great way. But should you have fear that the, that merging, because I think you brought up the, the betting fears there of, of what does this say about your the real product that you're trying to protect if you're now you know, partners and brothers with fake fighting. The marketing and all that is obviously huge and that's why we're doing it here. But we talk about how quickly UFC fans recycle. This does show a different hardcore direction of we're trying to be, you know, we're trying to be the NFL here. We're trying to go after it. So how will that negatively affect matchmaking, presentation, rules, and all that? We don't know yet. We'll have to see over time. But is there in your eyes a legitimate fear if you're a hardcore fan who's already sick of the of going public and going Hollywood and going ESPN? They just want great fights. Right. You know? Well, people never think about how things can go wrong, but you have to think about that in this world. Obviously, on the promotional side, this one's an easy call, right? I mean, there's so many ways in which the audience is and then the broadcast could support one another. So yeah. that part I, I completely get and understand. And, you know, pro professional wrestling is not for me, but I also understand its relationship to MMA and how there's a, a, a huge crossover with the with the audience. Here's my concern. On the one hand, let's 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 take a case. Let's take the case of Gable Stevenson, right? Yes. So Olympic uh, national or Division One national champion, Olympic gold medalist. I mean, this guy's got the a absolute phenom. phenom, heavyweight too. Kid's got the world in his palm. He went to go WWE with the with, with a deal with them. Now that has somewhat floundered, as I understand it. But okay, neither here nor there. Could you imagine a scenario where he continues to do whatever he's doing for WWE and then takes a break and then goes and does UFC stuff all under the auspices that, hey, this is all in the family? Yes, you could easily see that. And I don't think that's in any way a bad thing. I actually think that's a good thing in the right circumstance. But what I mean to say is if there's enough cross-pollination and there is some kind of controversy in someone's bout and storylines quite literally are getting mixed Absolutely. up between the two worlds, what does that do over time, or in particularly pronounced cases, to the, to the, not the authenticity of the product, but the fans' perception of the authenticity of the product? I realize this is like a 43-year-old guy who doesn't like professional wrestling, maybe raising concerns that are a little bit hyperbolic, but it is worth at least working yeah, out if the you're, if you're a pure UFC fan only, you might look at this as like, what kind of bullshit are we going to see now? Are we going to see, you know, Israel Adesanya showing up on SmackDown and being inserted into an I, angle? I, I, Hold I, on, I, being inserted into an angle... <laughs> only to promote his next fight. And are they, we on the flip side, then gonna see, what if Roman Reigns decides in real life, I wanna have a real fight? BC, I, saw, see I saw Tito and Rampage, when they were with Bellator in the Bjorn Rebney era, folks forget this, 
go on, what was on Spike at the time? Uh, Total Impact Wrestling. Total Impact Wrestling, hitting each other with hammers. I literally saw that, okay? So that actually is a thing that in in a different world with different players, it got real weird at the end there. That is what I would seek to avoid, but I don't really know if that's possible. Right, and also realize whether it's smart or could ever happen or not, we've seen headlines of late that WWE's trying to push hard into the gambling space, right? So that you can go on your DraftKings or FanDuel or whoever app and bet on the results of the matches, which obviously are... How can you do that? There'd have to be some level of showing... I mean, you'd have to show the betting industry that you can protect your secrets, which has long been... That's why people like Dave Meltzer can have these, you know, jobs and be these investigative reporters and, and report this stuff ahead of time. I don't know how you can protect that, but it's showing when you put all of this muscle together. Because look, let's not look past what this actually means, whether you're looking at this news from, because you're more of a UFC fan, you're more of a WWE fan, or you care or don't care, is think of the power players that are all gonna be under the same umbrella now. It doesn't always work when you put too many egos and cooks in the kitchen, but as long as everybody respects the job, the hierarchy, which is gonna be in question here, but you've got Ari Emanuel, Vince McMahon, looking down on Nick Khan on one side, Dana White on the other, you know, Patrick White's all the others that are involved in that. What can they do big picture that's never been thought of before to merge these together? Uh, I don't know if you're a pure UFC fan at the end of the day, if any of that stuff's going to interest you or you're going to want that or if that's just going to continue. But, like, if UFC was ever, they got pretty damn far. They got a Fox deal. Now they got an ESPN deal. Now they've cleaned up to a level where it's being fed to you on ABC sometimes. It's, it's like we're 12 not. 12 billion. Yeah. Uh, is 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 the only chance for this to ever go as commercial to be like, you know, McDonald's and Coke and Pepsi to be like literally a number one or two sport. This is the chance. This is the big swing to do that. So again, if you're hardcore and more about the purity and the old school, this might not be for you. Just like people say about the Super Bowl, it's not for the real fans, right? It's for your wife to watch the commercials, right? right, right I know right. that's just generic and stereotypic, but that's what we're talking about. I, I do have those concerns long-term for UFC, but here's another thing though. Why did the Zufa boxing rumors suddenly come back? Why does Dana suddenly in interviews the last couple months going, well, maybe it's not over. This is a power play for both brands because both of them own the, the, the progressive new spaces of media and streaming and, and giant TV deals that are right around the corner so well and cater to such a young market that you put them together, Luke, this, this becomes a, a potential superpower. So could they get into boxing using all of these promotional arms and networks and actually make some headway in space? It's interesting. When people, when we always debate, one day Dana White's going to walk away. You know what I mean? But who can fill that spot to be both the public face but still be that maverick behind the scenes? And we're like, could Chael do it or is he more of a figure? What about DC? What about whatever? I've always said the only one that could do something like that is Nick Khan. Yeah, Nick Khan could do it. And right now, the way this deal is set up, Nick Khan's going to stay being the CEO of WWE. But, like, Nick Khan is the one, if, if these families really merge together, that could. I mean, he's, look. He's proven consistently, like Vince has in his own lane, that he's the smartest guy in the room and gets very much ahead of these big things. So, no relation to Tony Khan. No, but I do wonder long term what that means. You know, what, what crossover eventually because um, it, it's it's a it, well. Here's, here's another none question. None of this may play out, Luke, for months or years where we say, "Oh, look at that! Connect that dot with this." But there's potential for a lot of change through this deal. There really is. A yeah, lot there's, a sh- there's a there's a ton. I mean, just thinking about it, like who. This is what I was thinking about last night. Who is who is Endeavor's competitor, right? I mean, look what you have with UFC. You have these rights holders now. You have you have tons of intellectual property. You have you have now rights deals with in terms of television broadcasting, vastly international, and in these major markets, you've got some of the best. You both, in in case of UFC and WWE, you have a tremendous live event 
business as well, right? And there's just a whole lot that go, the movie studios on the WWE side or whatever. Music merchandise. I mean, it's it's so. So what I'm saying is, who is the who is not UFC's competitor, WWE? Who is Endeavor's competitor? Well, I think they're setting a new template. Well, here, this is what I was going to say. Yeah. It's almost, and it's not quite like this, but it's almost like they're a competitor to Live Nation. You yeah. would get your tickets from Live Nation for any kind of concert because they're in the live event business. Yet they also have all of this IP. They also have all these broadcast rights on the other side. You're right, it's a hybrid business. But this is what I was thinking about. Where who, Endeavor's making a move here, and this is like the quarter or halfway version of it, even yeah. though it's a big deal. They're trying to set themselves up, I think, as a dominant player in live event and television business. How that will look in the next five to ten years, I can't figure that part out. But they're gunning for something far above what I think we've given them credit and the for different, with this. The different in the new model, the new template that they're making is that they own the yes, rights. That's right. That's right. Now, interestingly enough, maybe this it's is... It's all vertically integrated. Maybe this is the perfect transition to Vince McMahon. Part of that interview that him and Ari did with CNBC, it closed with sort of an awkward question where part of the deal was Vince retains his own IP to his own name and life story and character and all that. Jesus. And uh, so, you know, in terms of like, nobody's going to put out the Vince McMahon biopic or, or you know, or, or tell-all book while he's still alive. But can we get Luke... Because when you get that many powerful people together, I mean, it, it did feel like a, a little bit of like a cult initiation video watching those two up there. Can we show Vince McMahon's yeah, let's see a picture pivot of here into, you know, he's 77 years old, Luke. He's still a a business machine. <laughs> he has... Do you know what, BC? I think that hair color is natural. It looks very... When I think about this picture, I think very natural. Dude, he looks like a hot dog that got left in the sun. <laughs> And then someone put a suit and drew a mustache on it. I mean, what Dude, are we doing, Dude, he looks fella? like a villain in every kid's movie. Like, you know what I mean? Like, just... Vince, Vince, buddy, hear me out. If you're dying your eyebrows, it's time to let it go, my guy. Dude, that, this is such an aggressive rebranding, a reinvention of your physical image. That is the grossest mustache that Elf Pub... I mean, that's like John Waters level. That is just, like, creepy. Yeah, dude, when you shave the mustache from the nostril to the lip, you know? So it's just this thin pencil. And the worst thing is Shane McMahon, his son, who once again came back, I heard, over WrestleMania and blew out his quad in pure Vince fashion. He's been going with the gray look for, like, a decade now, so... But dad's all brown up there. Um, like, if you're a UFC fan and you have fears about, okay, this is going to cheese up our product because we're going to WWEify it, you know, eventually it's just going to all kind of blend together and be one meal, like eating at the same cruise buffet for a whole week. Luke, yesterday's meal kind of tastes like today, even though they look different, you know what I mean? Um, a little human centipede. Um, how much do you think that concern you raised about? impropriety and the fact that you, you're now joining hand in hand with the phony baloney fighting. I get if you're intelligent enough, you can draw a line between scripted and unscripted here, but is there gonna be I, concern I, about, about, about the impropriety here in the long run? I, 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 not automatically, no, not certainly not automatically. It's not really that I think, oh, because they have this relationship, now everything is called into question. That's really not what I mean. But what I do mean to say is like, for example, the Krauss scandal, it kind of snuck up on them. Like, yeah. I had, I had MMA coaches, this is a true story, I had MMA coaches in the wake of the crowd scandal calling me up being like, hey, so-and-so wants me to do a, a, break, a betting breakdown for them. Can I even do that? And I was like, I don't really know. In other words, everyone was engaged in these practices. They got out of hand, and then the UFC kind of reacted later. Now, they seem to have fixed the problem, but that created, a, I mean, there's an ongoing federal investigation in terms of law enforcement related to these efforts. Like, the UFC doesn't want that. They don't want the bad press related to Canadian provinces removing betting. So again, it's not that I think that the natural order of things is that everything will be a, a mush. It's that I think that sometimes the UFC has been a little bit indelicate 
with the way they've treated the firewall between the brands, in this case Power Slap and UFC, but oh, also yeah. indelicate in not appreciating how other members of the public, including regulators, actually think about the product versus how they think about it or how the authenticity of how they view it versus someone else, and they kind of react after the fact. And I'm just hoping, I guess BC, my only concern is that, that you know, again, some level of integration is inevitable and probably good, but I don't want that to just cause a fervor and a, and a feeling like, guys, this is working great. What's the problem? Let's just keep doing it without putting enough guardrails yes. into the practice. I think that's what i right. UFC has been very reactionary. Let's see how much noise this makes so we have and to address it. And then get after it. I mean, can you believe that both of these two powers, Dana and Vince, both had these ridiculous scandals? Dude, I want and, to point this out. And Endeavor was just like, I don't, I don't see a problem. Dude, Endeavor didn't say a word about Dana's issues, yeah. right? I guess he addressed a little bit, Vince, on the CNBC yes. interview. Not much. Just the generic of like, I've, I've made many mistakes in my life over 50-something years, I'm, and I've always taken the blame for them and stood up yeah. and said... Yeah, I mean, you know, just total billionaire nonsense. Yeah. Um, and Endeavor didn't give a damn. Yet they'll send me emails. Did you get the email from Endeavor being like, we're giving 250 grand to like yes. women's sports causes? That's great. Like, dude, se great. send that to another chump. Like, that doesn't mean a thing to me. But um, incredible that these two guys enmeshed in what would have been absolute career destroyers but if you, BC, honestly, if you're powerful enough and there's no disciplining force and shame, you, you can do whatever you want in this yes. world. You can do if whatever a, you want. If you're a swinging corporate raider and you got the biggest stick in the fight, and they, they showed it in that interview. They, I mean, they, look, it, Vince was celebrating like touchdown dances. He loved to say this. He was loved, he doing the icky shuffle? Close, but he, he loved to say, this is the biggest move in Ari Emanuel's life, and this is the biggest move in my life. And he's basically saying, like, this is my legacy. This is the... The, the final flag put down on top of the mountain for now of, of what I'm showing you I'm doing with my legacy and the control that I have and retain. I mean, look, he's still here in an executive position, technically above Dana and the UFC overseeing. Um, that Putting all those brilliant minds together, right? It's either going to be the most incredible thing ever or it's going to blow up spectacularly. Huh? All right. Well, with that in mind, we do have to get through the rest of the show because we are a limited time here. But huge news, to put it quite mildly. All right. With that in mind, BC, let's talk a little bit about Bellator. Uh, weekend recap in general. But yeah. Let's start things off with Bellator. So Bellator 293 obviously took place at the Pachanga Resort and Casino in Temecula, California. Headlined by a contest between Daniel James and Marcelo Gaume, Dan uh, BC. Daniel James winning in the third round via a uh, KOTKO, a hook and uppercut combo. BC, my question for you. Daniel James, does he look like a threat to Ryan Bader to you? He's becoming one. Some of that is the lack of true depth in that division, but... Has, it, has his rise been this fun revelation? Yeah, I mean, 41 years old, big, big power as well. But, you know, he was like a rap security guard for Twista, is that correct? That's right, yeah. And to, for him to, to put his nose to the grind and, and, and go all in right now, and, and at this age, too, it's a fun story to watch. He does have two consecutive knockouts over pretty legitimate names here. So, Luke, he shot his shot on Friday. He, he grabbed the microphone and said, Ryan Bader's in the crowd. I know I can make a fun fight against him. Um... How, like, how much more does he have to prove to get that shot? Well, Bader's kind of, of late silently cleaned this division out, would you say? Yeah, he was there in attendance, and Scott Coger, I thought, said the right thing, which was afterwards, it's like, all right, well, Litton Vassell is probably next. Sure, oh, that run, that run has been impressive. But yeah. the card we talked about in Chicago, the upcoming card, I think the June card, yes. where you're going to get Patricio and Pettis, and you're, get, and you're going to get Nemkov and Yoel, they want to put Daniel James on that card. It's, it looks to me like he's like number one contender B, 
and Vassell is number one contender letter A or whatever. Like they're both one, one A, one B. Um, so I think they're going to give him somebody else he can probably really beat. Coker's, I will say this is one of the things that Coker does really well, which is he gives guys tough fights when they are supposed to have tough yes. fights, and he gives them more manageable, look-good fights in other spaces. All he would need would be a look-good fight. Yes. But yeah, if you're Ryan Bader, now you have your work cut out for you. You have Litton Vassell in front of you. You probably have Daniel James in front of you. I don't know how much time Ryan Bader has left, but it sets up the heavyweight division. I thought he looked good for what it was worth, BC, Daniel James. I thought that... I mean, he's a, when he gets top position on the ground, he could be he's scary. Terrifying. But he's But what terrifying. about his takedown defense against somebody like Bader? I don't really I don't think, think it's at it's that not, level. It's not enough. Now, if ba- now, here's the thing. Bader has kind of wilted at times under the threat of big punchers. Yeah. So you have seen him lose his composure in certain ways, but then his run through the heavyweight tournament, which has not been some years at this point, still, like his speed and explosivity and his ability to run through you know, horizontal force... In that way, it's. I, I don't think Daniel James's chances are all that great. But, but hey, they gave Daniel James a chance. Uh, and it's kind of an unlikely headliner. Yeah, a five-round fight came through and took care of business again. So yeah, he, so he beat two credit. top contenders in back-to-back fights for a guy we hadn't heard of maybe even a year ago. This is a nice run for him. Uh, BC also on that card, not a great fight. If I can just be honest, Kat Zingano, she did defeat Leah McCourt. They exchanged dominant positions that seemed to last forever, BC. Yeah. Um, so I'll ask the same question. Now, Chris Cyborg is apparently not under contract, although... There's a situation right now. Well, Coker seemed to be pretty... Con- he said that actually she's still under because we have matching rights. Yeah. So well, she wants to box on a high level. And which, which she did. Well, not a high level, but she but, did but, box. Right. But, but I think Scott's always been willing to play ball on that, right? But it's the, it's the same question. It was like, Katzengano's going to be 41 probably by the time they make any kind of Chris Cyborg fight. Did you see something from Chris, excuse me, from Kat Zingano that made you think that she can wrestle away the title from Chris Cyborg? No. I mean, she is, has she earned the chance, though, given the depth in the division and the win she's had? Yes. But, and Luke, I felt bad for her. She spent a lot of the, the buildup to this fight talking about how confused she was. She felt she was already in key labeled number one contender fights and won that and had to pass yet another test. Some of that could be the confusion of, is exactly Chris Cyborg coming back? What's the situation? I hope she can because Kat Zingano has earned this. Now, at this point in her career, though, is she showing you that that plus-level danger of her rallying back against Misha Tate for a brutal knockout? I don't think that same fighter's here anymore and hasn't been for a while. Um, she's still after it. Let's give her that chance. But uh, she'll be a heavy underdog heading into that title fight if they, make it, if they can make it. Yeah, I just feel like Chris Cyborg is aging really well. Yeah. She's aging, but very slowly. Well, Does that make sense? She she adjusted to the the need to really get the technique down in terms of her. In she, terms she's of her not boxing. the bruising marauder. She she's once been, was. And, and that poise and patience is going to allow you to extend it because the power can always bail you out for sure. But she's also added a lot of smarts. I mean, how many promotions has Cyborg been in and ended up the champion in? All that experience adds up over time. Leah McCord. I thought she did pretty well. I did, I thought this was going to be much more of one way traffic on the ground, and there was actually not quite the case. Although in the, in the end, Cat was better. Although I did see some folks being like, "Yeah, there's a case for." court in certain ways. Although it was I think a it's, weird fight. There's a lo- it was all it grappling. was a weird fight. It was he, all grappling, and somebody get full mount and would do nothing with it, and then they'd get the back and do nothing with it. It was right. a lot of just button heads in, in that regard in the grappling. So I don't know what the future holds for Leah McCourt, but Katzengano stays on the winning track. She's your number one contender. Should they have made this an interim title fight because there is some uncertainty about Chris? You could have. You could have. But um, let, let's. I mean, let's stay positive that that Chris. You know, Chris doesn't turn down comers, but the business will have to make sense here. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, John Salter wins over Aaron Jeffrey, BC, and gets booed by the audience <laughs> when he announces his retirement. So He, like, apologized for needing to win that <laughs> safely, but he's like, have you guys been in here with Jeffrey? This is not an easy... <laughs> yeah. you know. uh, but, BC, the two things I want to talk about very quickly. Number one, Luke Trainer defeating Sullivan Cauley. Sullivan yes. Cauley out of power. Surprise. MMA. Super surprising and did it 
quickly, no less. Um, big win for him, but the big one, BC, Rat Garbage lost, by the way, against Mandel. Uh, what's his name? Man uh, Mandel Nalo. Dude, I, I want him. See, in my, in my mind, Mandel Nalo and, um, and Big Tuna. They'll just never lose again. I don't think they've ever lost again in my in my personal. Even heart. if they lose, they never lose. Like Yoel Romero, I don't think I've ever seen him lose a decision, Luke. Right? You know what I mean? I've seen, yeah. I've seen you know, I've seen some close ones there, but. Uh, uh, but the big one was two uh, good prospects lost. Lance Gibson Jr. fell to seven and one, but the big one, BC Joey Davis lost. Yes. And I know what folks are going to say. It's like Luke, you hyped him up and he ended up losing. Well, okay, but okay, f fair enough. Like that blew up in my face. But BC, truly, and I'm not doing a bit here in terms of betting odds. A historic loss. Joey Davis, ready for this? Yeah. A minus 1,800 favorite, and he lost. He lost, and he didn't look good, BC. Did he gas out, right? He did the, no, here's what he did. He did the Darian Caldwell bit, where it's lots of control, not nearly enough ground and pound, not nearly enough sub attempts, which, by the way, he was not doing before he just took two and a half years off for reasons I don't know. Remember, Joey Davis never lost a match in college and was undefeated as a pro in MMA heading into this contest. Was a minus eighteen hundred favorite and still managed to Did lose. You see Christian Edwards moving up to heavyweight, lost his third in a row. Yeah. Big Tuna took his soul. Yeah. He remember that guy was a that guy was hyped up. He was yeah, coming yeah. on. Yeah. Big Tuna not to be played with. Yeah. Um, and I think they screwed Big Tuna in LFA, though. I think it was a, it was a close decision that, that could have gone his way for the Big Fish. It know? could have. It yeah. could have. Uh, all right. Let's get to PFL, if we can, because they were on Saturday night on ESPN and ESPN+. Plus. That's a, it's a, I mean, you, one thing you can say about that, bro, I like the broadcast, but that cage is... It's too smart for its own good. <laughs> it's getting there. It's getting I mean, why is everyone telling me what they're doing on chat GPT when you can just be asking the smart cage in PFL, yeah. right? Like, what are you guys doing? Um, BC? I'd like to see the smart cage predict how many months and years we have left as a duo. <laughs> Imagine if it was like, <laughs> the marriage is already over. <laughs> it's like, okay. it's like Thursday, actually, okay, is yeah, your last well, day together. Yeah. Um, here's what PFL did, BC. They got two of their champions, Brendan Lochnane, Brendan Lochnane, whatever, and then Rob Wilkinson. You can just call him Lochnane. It's fine. Okay, but it's pronounced a million different ways, from depending who you talk to. Um, you? Yes. <laughs> no, no, no. I've talked to several different people and who are Brits, and they all pronounce it differently. It's not true. Okay. Whatever the proper pronunciation may be, BC. They got him, and they got Wilkinson, two of their champs from the last season. And who did they fight? UFC veterans. Smart matchmaking, though. In a sense. But it ended up being, at least in the main event, fucking gross. Uh, but you're not, hold on. At the surface, though, I'm not mad at what PFL's doing. They've got a couple guys that are considered their guys that came to their greatest level of prominence as fighters under the PFL brand. Guys that like here that just won championships, even though we've seen Wilkinson in the UFC before and Lachnane as well. They, you got to put some names in the in the tournament that people know, though. Okay, so it's it. Yeah, but there's not a market the to grab the not, not at the not at the way that they did this one. I mean, the co-main fine. I mean, no, it's, not it's tough to watch Marlon Moraes get stopped for the seventh Dude, Marlon, straight time, right? Marlon I mean, didn't it's... even get sent to the land of wind and ghosts. He got beaten up to the legs, and of course, he got TKO'd from leg kicks. He just couldn't do it anymore. So credit to Brendan Lachman, or who, look, he looked great. He looked great. He did everything he was supposed to. By the way, he apparently he wanted to take the year off and like not full year, but he wanted to just take championship fights. And PFL told him, "You don't get into the tournament. Yes. We're just going to lock you out for a year." So that's not great. Well, but, that tournament's a grind. It Dude, is an it, innovative he, concept. With everyone the talks season, about, like, is the opponent hard enough relative to the UFC? Well, probably not. But the fact that you have to do it so frequently yeah. makes it very difficult to win. But BC, Marlon Marais, dude, he used to be known for a guy who had real physical durability. Yeah. 
He's still in great shape. He's only 34, but, but dude, how many more do we have to on, see? I mean, this man. is now two fights and two knockout losses. I believe it's, is it six or seven consecutive knockout Something losses? Something like that, yes. Danny Segura was high on him coming in. Danny's point was, if you look at the Shaman Marais fight, which is the one he had prior to this one, and it was, it was his PFL debut, he looked good up until he didn't, which is true. But this is just the reality about guys, once they cross a certain threshold, dude, you can't get it back. You cannot get it back. Well, we thought, but there's a couple exceptions. Like an Andre Olovsky, we thought he hit that point twice where we're like, dude, the chin's done. You can't keep doing okay, this. Okay, even he didn't have a losing streak quite like this. No, not quite like that. Even this one is worse. Is That's, this like when Ryan Hall tapped BJ Penn and then BJ was like, I didn't get knocked out, so I can come back and do it again. I mean, yeah, Mar- and also, is, is Marlon going to be back and do this again? Olovsky's a heavyweight. Big, big yeah. difference with that. Dude, I, I, I listen, it is very easy for me to get up here and say a guy should retire, and of course, I don't have to feed his family. And it sounds always like insulting, like, you're not worthy. To be here. No, it's a bad idea for his health. Dude, yes. he's literally getting just absolutely maimed out there. But those were some intense leg kicks. Oh, yeah, no, no, on. it was great. But I'm just pointing out this, like, you know, not at 145 per se, but at 135 in his better days, I don't think Marais would have necessarily had a huge issue with it. But, you know, boom, he's. Boom, boom, and then the bottom drops out. I've seen better days, been the start of many BC. plays. Um, Tiago Santos, he won a round. Um, Wilkinson wins via unanimous decision, 29-28, I think on the judges' scorecards. He basically got out-wrestled, um, out-grappled is maybe a better way I feel way bad for Maheta because he, the injury against John Jones played a big part. And, and in hindsight, you look back and you have to respect that he went all in on that fight with two destroyed yep, legs. Bill, Bill and, came due. And remained a threat knockout threat late in that fight when I don't even know how he was standing. But it's almost like, you know, like, remember Wooderson from Days and Confused? I mean, he was like really cool and he finally came into that and knew it. But he was also like 22 and hanging out with 16 and 17 year olds, you know, trying to drive them to the Aerosmith concert. You know what I mean? And like, you know, hey man, watch the leather. And you know, when I was 18, I was like, that's who I want to be when I grow up, you know? But it's also kind of sad. No one wants to be the old guy at the club. My point here ultimately though, is that Tiago Santos, found his upper bound limit later in his career. He was always a knockout threat, always a fun fighter, figured out his division and figured out his moment against John Jones and went all in. And obviously there was going to be a receipt due from that injury. And Luke, even in that losing streak that led to him exiting the UFC, he had big moments at times, like against Glover Teixeira, almost knocking him out after dropping him. But he's a diminished second rate version of where he was at that very peak. And I give him credit for getting there, but He's a he's a name now and an opponent for guys like Rob Wilkinson, who's the defending champion there in PFL light heavyweight, who came out and gave a strong and honest performance. And Mahetta had moments, last couple seconds, he was putting together big combos, but those moments are fleeting, Luke, because what they're proving here, these younger guys, if you pressure him, you can lower his output. Right. You know, you got to watch the big counters and stuff, but that quick twitch fiber, which made him electric during the run leading up to and ending with the John Jones fight. Um, that guy, that guy's not in there there anymore. It's, it's it's not as quick that twitch. The twitch is fibering, Luke, just not as fast. It's it's like you know. It's fibering. Yeah, the quick twitch fiber. Is my colon fibering? You know, I think I think two weeks at Daru Strong, Luke, I could I could be a new man. I think you could actually. You know what I'm saying? I think you could. Yo, Phil gets a- Bam Bam gets after it. I'm yeah, talking about does. life. He gets after he it. He certainly Luke. does. BC, I often I always talk about this. Everyone and their brother is always like, yeah, they just do these BS narratives because they're like you know. There's so many people out there who just treat MMA like they're reading comic books or something, you know, where what really matters is some kind of 
mental or personal satisfaction about effort and these like high lofty principles that have nothing to do with real life whatsoever. You it's, hate MMA fans. I mean, you hate it's these not even people. Fan, no, it's, do journalists do it too? It's nothing. They're paying for your super chat. No, dude, it's not about you making it like I'm. It's me versus the fans. That's not what I'm saying. It's me versus people. Media included, promoters included, lots of people. It has nothing to do specifically with the fans. That they want, they treat MMA like they're reading comic books. When what you should be doing is thinking about this like a business. And sure enough, he's in the middle of a John Jones title fight and gets injured. And everyone's like, yo, you don't take him out. He's injured. Blah, blah, blah. Because this will be, you know, it's a title fight. And fair enough, it's a title fight like maybe you got to go for it. But if you're that injured, you're probably not going to win that title fight. And you might be doing even more damage by just letting it go through. Sure enough, they put a charge on the credit card of life, and then they just forget about the bill, and then the bill comes due, and then everyone goes, what happened? Oh, where, where are we now? Well, here's where we are. We're at a place where this guy is at 38, almost 39 years old, two utterly destroyed knees, lost all that time in his career, and then now this is the state of things. Of course, it's been the state of things basically since then, the Johnny Walker win notwithstanding, but that one wasn't super inspiring to begin with. Um, he sat out 17 months between John Jones right, and Glover to share. Right, that's how much time he lost because everyone wants to say, yeah, you just got to go for it, bro. It's the, it's the title fight. You just got to do it. Well, fine, you can do that. But then the bill comes due on the other end, and this is what it gets you. This so, is why I'm always, if someone's injured in a fight, and it really reduces their chances of winning. Get the f out yeah. of the fight. Stop what trying are to put Aaron Pico's shoulder back in. Well, also have like like for, same with TJ Dillashaw. That's a much worse situation because yeah. he had that before heading in there. But like his shoulder was. I mean, dude, his he ground his shoulder into dust, and for what? For nothing. And now the bill is due, and his surgeons are like, oh my god. You're going to need extensive repair. It may, ne- it almost certainly will never be the same. Well, Mahetas lost six of seven against very good competition, though. He was subbed out by Glover, but the only stoppage loss was that Jamal Hill fourth round knockout. Like he's not in a dangerous spot, Luke, but he's becoming a diminished average fighter. Correct? That's fair to say. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, that, what, 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 dude? If you had that much time off with that age, with those injuries, you know, do both of your ACLs going like that? I mean, what? He's one of my favorite fighters to watch, Luke. I understand, and dude. He's, he's, a, he's a new father. Congratulations to him. Yeah, it's great. Santos, you know? It's great. I'm just saying, like, everyone just push through injury. No, dude. These are human beings. They're going to have a life after fighting. They're going to... And this is the other part, too, man. Like, with Marlon Moraes. Dude, he's 34, right? 34. If you're 30... I mean, I, we just talked to Phil. Phil DeRue's 34. All of these guys, dude, this is why fighter pay matters to me so much. We talked about the $12 billion valuation. There were four, seven years ago. Does anyone think fighter pay has tripled since then? Because I definitely don't. Yeah, that's the one thing we didn't mention about this WWE and yeah. UFC, uh, which are forming a new company together, is that this won't, how will this affect fighter pay or right. will it at all? I don't know. I don't know how that's going to go. That remains to be seen. But I just want to point out, this is why with fighter pay I feel the way that I feel, is that so many of these guys keep thinking that they're going to be doing this longer than they're going to do it. Something yeah. happens, they get knocked out a couple times. Like, for example, like um, with uh, Dominic, Re- Dominic Reyes. You get viciously knocked out, you're never quite the same afterwards. Or guys get injured and they, you know, they, they lose time and whatever. And then they could be in that mid-30-ish range and they think, oh, I've still got time left to get big checks. And then it dawns on them that the big check days are behind them you have just medium to small check days left. And by the way, even those are going to be few and far between and probably come at even more health expense. This is why the window to make actual money is so narrow, so small, yeah. that guys think they have much longer in the sport than they do. 
And then they get pushed out, and they're like, where was all the money I was supposed so to make? as a Redskins super fan, do you feel like Joe Theismann made the right decision after LT? Um, I watched that live on TV. I remember that. Dude, you would have been like six or five. Yeah, no, no, no. I remember, dude, I remember, because it, it was obviously a huge deal with Theismann. Dude, I mean. It was a big game. Even, L go look at LT's <clears throat> reaction after he, oh, he's, he's like, ha He's like freaking out. It's so gross to watch It's that, really bad. It's re By the way, Joe Theismann does the radio rounds all the time. Still, like, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He calls the preseason games for the, well, now the Commanders, yeah. um, for the local television station. Do you think he's in cahoots with Dan Snyder? I don't think he likes Dan Snyder very much, but like a lot, it's, it's it's hard to be part of like the history of the team and like be totally on the outs with the owner. Even Riggins at times can still. Do you hold against Mark Rippin that he had acne and wasn't that cool on the mic <laughs> in terms of like your your Washington idols? He was good enough to win. That's all that really matters, right? Okay. okay. I mean, RG three sucks, but you know, no he, one ever his talks about. Season was fun. Yo, Jason Campbell was adequate. No one ever talks about that. All right. Uh, I, Jason Campbell, I'll never forget. He. I think he got benched or bounced or something. He did an interview on 106.7 The Fan. He's like, yo, I'm a starter in this league. I don't think he started another game after that. <sighs> Was that Again, you? the window, that narrow. But the NFL players make a lot more money and they have a CBA, so. Your clip fell off, Luke. Are you going to address that? Nah, I'm just going to let it. I'm just going to let it rock. It looks like an earring. It looks like Jesse the Body Ventura in the mid How do I look? Put the camera on me. I got an earring. Look at my earring, bro. Luke, would you like to comment on the outfit I pulled out yesterday at Phil DeRue's gym? Uh, in hindsight, you know, did it work? No. but it was, I would say dad at the Splash Park. I had the on the official shorts of Morning Combat. I had a Ioana t-shirt on. The, I, and I felt I was filling out the t-shirt fine, but it was too much pale. It was too much yeah, skin. It was, yeah, maybe that was... And I let, the, I let the toes fly free, Luke, because, you know, would you, would you go up to Gilbert Burns and be like, your cauliflower is a problem? It's, it's disgusting no, to look at. No, I never do You that. should address that. So why can't I live with my toes the way they are? They're a roadmap of how I got here. Um, you can. Just you can't ask people to like it. That's your issue. So it's like Frank Beamer should wear like a, a COVID mask on the left side of his face at all times because it, you know. Hey, listen, if you're a Division One coach, you can, you can wear whatever goiter you have on your face. <laughs> it doesn't matter. All right, BC, let's talk about Anthony Joshua, if yeah. we can. Anthony Joshua was back in the news. He wins uh, a big fight, sort of. He wins via unanimous decision over Jermaine Franklin. BC, first, first fight with the new trainer. Derek first fight James. with the new trainer. Third trainer in as many fights. Don't forget that. Here's my review. Tell me if I'm right or wrong. My review is that this was an important fight to definitely just get a win. Yes. Had to get momentum going in the right direction. On that level, in a very basic way, mission accomplished. However, there was nothing about that performance that inspired confidence. Now, he didn't make any bad decisions, but he looked hesitant. He didn't look like he was really yeah. ready to let his punches go. Franklin, I thought, was a decent opponent and had some good He overachieved. Moments. He was tough. He definitely overachieved. He quick hands. He stayed in there. So, know. I'm not ready to bury Joshua. But yeah. here's my one takeaway. If you were looking for this performance to restore confidence about how he could do against Fury or Wilder, boy, did it let you down. It did. It did. Could you take? I saw the tweets from Derek James, who who said afterwards, "I was just happy to get the win under any circumstances." So, like you said, in that regard, that's fine. There were some things to like. It wasn't a disruptively bad performance. He landed double the punches of Jermaine uh, Franklin, but I never saw Anthony Joshua fully comfortable. I thought in the first half of the fight, when he was relying on that jab and actually making it a weapon and movement with that, that's what you want from AJ, right? But he never went after Franklin. In fact, he got wobbled a couple times from one punch at a time moments where you can imagine what would happen if somebody of elite skill was in that spot late in that fight against him. So let's talk. Let's talk. He's broken. Anthony Joshua is broken from what happened in the loss in the first Ruiz fight. 
That doesn't mean he he hasn't repaired some of that back. He has. But I asked a lot of him coming into this fight with third trainer in as many fights, but like what what could be the Derek James factor? It to me it came down to AJ. Could he get back his confidence, his swagger? He doesn't have it back. He's too cautious. Um luckily for him with his size and look, he came in at a career high 255. Dude, he was yoked. Super jacked. You know, so that shows you the direction he's trying to go. So I was like, oh, good. He's going to go back to his punching ways, right? Not fully good. The confidence in that isn't good. The confidence in his chin. And even though he never got one punch by Andy Ruiz, it wasn't like, you know, Lennox Lewis got one punch twice. It was the twice. flurries. Lennox Lewis got one punch twice. Now he got up and came back and beat those same guys by knockout in title fight rematches. AJ was an equilibrium shot and then the accumulation of flurries and exhaustion and, and I think all the mental stuff he was fighting, you know, the family business and all that drama that surrounded that event. But he's not fixed and I don't think he ever is going to be. If you're an AJ fan though, can he still beat the majority of heavyweights? Yes. Yeah, but can he beat anyone that anyone cares about? Can he beat... The, the key question is here, can he beat Usyk or Fury, the two guys with belts? No. He can't beat those guys right now. Could he beat Deontay Wilder if you could finally make that fight? He I could. Doubt I doubt it. But you'd have to believe the later that fight goes because, no, he doesn't believe in his chin. And because of that, it takes away how effective and damaging he could be. Franklin overfought Luke. He, over, he overachieved. He showed incredible toughness. But, Luke, he should have gotten him out of there. If this is AJ back, he yeah. should have got Franklin out of there. And I'm not basing it just on that fact. It's overall. Something's broken. I don't think it'll ever get fixed. It didn't cost him in this fight. But if we're being really honest about AJ, this vulnerability, this idea of forever. I mean, look, look, it's heavyweight. So in some ways, everybody's potentially vulnerable at any time. It's an overused statement. But, yes, one punch can completely change this, you know, a fight at any time. So it's always going to be like that. But AJ's entire ride was him kind of learning on the job. And, I mean, you know, Carlos Tackham robbed him, rocked him early. And he's, you know, had to get up off the canvas twice, you know, against Klitschko. And he had to, you know, rebound against Dillian White and come back from being hurt. He's always sort of been, that's part of the charm. Because AJ works hard, you know, and, and I think he's likable overall. I know people have picked apart, you know, his reactions to things and all that. I'm happy he won. I'm happy he can now make a big fight. But, Luke, this was not the performance that I'm like, see, He's got a chance here against uh, Fury. And what did you think about the fact that after the fight, AJ goes right in the microphone and says, Tyson Fury, we're not getting any older. If you want to do it, my any team younger. is ready to make getting any younger. If you want to do it, my team is ready. Like, let's sit down and do this. Luke, obviously, this is a monster fight, almost a career-defining for both in some ways because of the UK star versus UK star, Phyllis Stadium, all that. This kind of tells me, like, even AJ is ready to cash himself out now. Mm. Not that I don't believe he could go into a training camp and believe he's going to win and go out and give the best performance possible, but his willingness after a somewhat shaky win to just be like, now is the time. We're not getting any younger. Let's do it. Dude, that, that to normally, me is like... So I, here's the thing. Normally, uh, Joshua, in recent bouts after winning has been like, you know, are you going to fight Fury? He'd be like, you know, I'll take on all comers. Yeah. He was very deflective. This time, he went right into... So it's like, well, you can read that as, well, he's confident. Let's do it. But nah, he doesn't... Nah. No, I, I, don't, I don't believe he doesn't think he can win. I just believe he's looking at it as, I got one more chance at this, and I'm just going for it however I am. And that's the problem, Luke, because that's where I believe Derek James won't matter. Could Derek James correct certain things? Was there certain things you could stop the video and show, ooh, that's probably Derek James related and that's a plus. Yeah, there were moments where AJ looked like AJ again. I mean, look, when he's leaving with that power jab, I don't care who you are, you've got to make adjustments and work around that. Some of his body uh, work was good. Absolutely, too. and when he's that jab, he's a great finisher on the inside. People don't give him that credit. There aren't a lot of great in inside fighters to be able to put those big punches together and have options and go with the right uppercut. He's got a lot of that, but he doesn't commit to that enough, Luke. So, um, could he beat Fury? Yeah, there's always that chance. 
but he he's going to end up being a, a big underdog betting wise. You're going to see against that, and, and I wouldn't and I wouldn't love his chances going in. We already saw what happened twice against Usyk. I hope that he can still make a wilder fight on the way out. But Luke, um, damaged goods is is an insensitive way to say that. But he has been compromised from the Ruiz lost, and that that balloon may never get filled up again, right? That toothpaste can't go back in, Luke. It can't. You saw it. No, and I tweeted this. I was looking this up. I tweeted this in the Andy Ruiz rematch. And here's what I wrote. This was December 17th, 2019. Quote, Joshua might win, but there isn't a doubt in my mind Wilder KOs him inside the distance if when that fight is made. Yeah. yeah, I tweeted that almost four years ago, and I think it's truer than it's ever been. So when AJ is fighting second-tier guy, like, like, look, if they don't do the Fury fight, the Dillian White rematch is something that Dillian White's been working for forever. Who cares? Jesus But what Christ, I'm saying is, cares? could he avoid the big shot and use his boxing skills to outbox Dillian White? Yeah, potentially he could. Against any <coughs> second-tier heavyweight, Luke, who doesn't have one-punch crazy knockout power and isn't a great boxer, that's where AJ fills in the gaps and shows you his athleticism and shows you the combination. He does a lot of good things across the board. But I don't think he's willing to, to risk it all in the big moments, and I don't think he's comfortable. Not everybody's comfortable being hurt and fighting through that. Brock Lesnar, even at the highest level of UFC, never fully adjusted to the idea of what happens if you punch him square in the face early in the fight. You know what I mean? AJ does just, it, I, it's, he's not lacking the want and willingness and warrior spirit, but he, something's blocked and he doesn't know how to apply it, Luke, and he's not willing to. So, I mean, listen, here's a little test for yourself. You want to know the difference. Now, the performance I'm about to say is not the best performance in terms of, like, crisp boxing. But if you want to see the biggest change in how Anthony Joshua approaches the fights, go watch his fight with Vladimir Klitschko. One of the best heavyweight fights of this era, frankly. And he had to get up off the canvas. And he had to rally. And he had to go for it. And he did. And he won. Now, granted, he got hurt a bunch. And so, you know, again, you would look at that and be like, okay, we don't want to do that for the future. And he's had cleaner performances. But the willingness to go, the willingness to sit in the fire and be there, I... Just don't think that's and there. And here's anymore. the trend I didn't like. Part of the part of why his his performance did not get raving reviews is there was way too much holding initiated by AJ. And the reason why I give some criticism to the to the tail end of Vladimir Klitschko's heavyweight reign, which was, in my opinion, in the worst era in boxing heavyweight history, it's not Vlad's fault that there was nobody left to fight, that Lennox Lukes retired and didn't come back. It's not his fault. And he took care of business across the board. But like people on the MMA side have criticized GSP at the end of his title reign for being too safe, Vlad started to get too safe, and he did the jab, jab, lean. Jab, mm. jab, lean. And in some fights, like the, the, the fight against Alexander Povetkin in Russia, the referee Louis back from being one punch, not once but twice, was certainly he believed in his own power and his boxing ability and that he could stand in and take shots. But he had Emmanuel Stewart, the Hall of Fame trainer, who could act like that calming figure, but also get, get in the ass when he needed to. And look, he Emmanuel taught him how to use his size and be a safe heavyweight without taking out your danger. AJ doesn't know how to, how, to, how to do both. He doesn't know how to do both at the end of the day. It's, it's either one or the other for him. And he was leaning too much in that Klitschko playbook of shamelessly holding to the point where his own trainer, Derek James, was like, stop the holding. Like, let's get out there. Let's, let's, let's put the punches together. Let's get on him. So um, it's tough to see, Luke. He still could win big fights. He still might win big fights. But, you know, he was calmer on the microphone this time afterwards, even though him and... Uh, yeah, but was, even he was like, no one's going to remember this fight in 15 years. Yeah. Dude, no one's going to remember this fight in 15 minutes. I mean... That fight was not. Was did you see that the skir- skirmish afterwards? They almost the two sides almost fought at the team. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, whatever, whatever. All right, let's stick with boxing. Let's talk about another one that happened over the weekend. I don't know if there's any fans in attendance. That was kind of sad. But 
At the Pfizer Forum, a, a boxing event took place, Gamebred Boxing 4, I think is what it's called. Um, in your main event, Anthony Pettis defeating Roy Jones Jr. Of course, we had some other matches on there, Jose Aldo and Jeremy Stevens. We had Jacare and Vitor. We'll talk about those other two in a minute. Your impression of how I'm this event surprised. went, RJ or Roy Jones Jr. Look, look, I don't want to see Roy Jones in this spot anymore. He's 54 years old, and it was a competitive fight against Pettis, and but at the same time, it was also kind of this like Dude, Pettis looked noticeably less washed than yes. RJ uh, than Roy Jones Jr. Which I say to be like in professional MMA, Pettis has looked like he's been on his last legs for a while. You know. So what I'm saying here is I don't like the use of Roy Jones here, although I get it, and luckily Roy didn't get hurt, and it was a competitive fight and a close decision that could have gone either way. But the rest of the card in totality, I think there's still an opening in market for this in the larger boxing bubble that we talk about. That, that you know, it was Mike Tyson and Roy Jones fighting each other, and it was the Paul brothers and this whole YouTube breakout. And some of that is you get differing quality elements in there, right? I thought Jake Paul at the highest level has been good enough in a mix of, you know, entertainment to get you in there and a decent fight. These were really competitive fights. So I think there is a market for this in taking retired, you know, in this case, retired UFC veterans who are still have something left in their late 30s, you know, even in some cases in their early 40s, and putting them out there against one another in competitive fights, not necessarily bringing in the YouTube element or the idea of, like, experienced guy who's old against inexperienced guy, although I know that was part of the pull in the Roy Jones-Pettis case. But each fight across the board, even, even to be fair, even the Jacare versus Vitor Belfort fight, Luke, which Belfort was mopping up and dropping him left and right early, Jacare kind of hung in there and ended up blooding Belfort. And it was like they were all presented as... Pretty darn competitive. I got to say, across the board, the boxing level is not going to wow you. Not going to wow you under any means. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't sloppy, and it was competitive. Luke, I don't know if it's going to be Gamebred and Masvidal's promotion through UFC Fight Pass and the Fight App and putting it on pay-per-view that makes it work, or if it's going to be Zufa Boxing. But I feel like this is what Zufa Boxing should be, or at least should be to start. I say this because Dana's not giving up this boxing dream. Now you're mixing him with other people you know, merging with WWE and looking at, like, Nick Khan, who's the top WWE, don't forget the, the impact he had on the boxing side and, and representing people and negotiating big deals and bringing the top-ranked boxing uh, to ESPN and having a huge hand behind the scenes and the, building the production of that. I wonder if Zufa Boxing could stay alive by almost starting this as the foundation. Competitive fights against using their athletes who either really want this one-off to see what they can do or their UFC career is done, but instead of going to slap or bare knuckle, Let's do it in-house. Let's, let's build the soft landing for you. And look, I'd even, I wouldn't even be mad if UFC did this. If they put out a Zufa boxing league that was largely ex-UFC fighters and they made competitive fights and, put, and even put a couple belts at stake. I don't, I and don't. Did, hold on. And didn't try to toggle over this belt means this or that. But this is a promotion. We're open to business. If you want to come in from boxing the or MMA. The not allowed to have the title in boxing by law. I, okay. But like, I wonder if there's something here where it's like, okay, their career's done, but... How would they look against Jose Aldo for this Zufa boxing title where it's kind of like fun and goofy and in roadside attraction, but it's taken seriously and they're matched competitively. Dude, I kind of like Jose Aldo boxing Jeremy Stevens. It was an interesting kind of fight. Okay, here's the it thing. It was a draw. Now they want to do a, a rematch. I'm not saying, Luke, that these are going to sell monster pay-per-views or that these guys are going to get I don't know if it's going to sell any pay-per-views. But I, I do think there's something because you want to see people you know fighting against each other 
But if the quality and skill isn't high, then the fight better be competitive and exciting. These weren't barn burners or fights of the year, but they were competitive and exciting enough for me where I'm like, yeah, I, I kind of like this. Didn't hate it. Wouldn't say I hated it. I thought it was fine, but it, it did not appear that anyone was in attendance. I don't know what the gate was. But I've it, never seen a crowd purposely blacked out that aggressively in the arena. It looked like WrestleMania 1 in Madison Square Garden where you can't see anybody, you just see blackness all just, around. Just, you can't see a single thing, so that didn't look great. I don't know what the pay-per-view numbers were. I cannot imagine they were very high. Um, dude, I just keep coming back to the same things. Do MMA fans want to watch MMA fighters box? My hunch is no. My hunch is no. They don't really like boxing to begin with. They will make exceptions for it for Fury, Tank versus Ryan okay, Garcia. What, what if, Luke, what if, okay, part of what makes BKFC good, part of, if you can tolerate how, you know, it's, it's raw, it's, it's carnival boxing, but part of it is they build the storylines to the fights in almost a pro wrestling way. What if, who, you know, what if Zufa Boxing took, you know, in pre-existing storylines from, like, you know, Aldo and, 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 um, and Jeremy Stevens previously fought, and now this was sort of the rematch in another sport. What if you built on that and got you to kind of care about it, where you're like, okay, the level isn't overly high, but that's going to be a fun fight. And the only way that, that works, the only way that that works is you have to get someone that someone cares about, a fighter that people are interested in, and they have to be in a bout that you otherwise could not get in MMA. That has to be the difference. You have to see them in a way where it's like, not only do I want to see this pairing, I can't get this pairing any other way. You're never going to get Mayweather-McGregor in any other way. You're never going to get um, Wilder versus uh, Francis any other way. Those are interesting crossovers. Or in the case of like, we did, we made our own uh, fake game yes. red cards on yes. Friday's show with Danny, I had said Alexander Volkanovsky versus Patricio Pitbull in boxing yeah. because there's no other way to get saying. that. Yeah. If you, dude, we saw Stevens and Aldo fight each other already, and also uh, with with uh, Jacare and uh, Vitor. I, I admit it was better than I thought it was going to be, but still, Vitor knocked him down a bunch, and he won pretty cleanly in my mind. And so it's like, what did I really get out of that? I didn't see anything I was desperate to see, or I couldn't get otherwise. But that's it, the only thing in the market that UFC isn't capitalizing on right now: the idea of taking big names and others, you know, they did the CM Punk experiment. They'll do big experiments if it makes a lot of sense. Maybe WWE fighters or uh, wrestlers versus Right, they don't have a house for it. But what if you start the foundation of whatever the Zufa boxing thing could be, and then you can reach over and say, any WWE big names who want a one-off. if they're making fights that you otherwise could not get. And then then it becomes, they would never brand it this way, but then it becomes a senior league for your, again, retired UFC guys who still have name value. The storylines are already connected. You have the backstories. But if you can put out a competitive product that has knockouts, I mean, if you can put a little bit of a tough man element into it, a little bit of a pro wrestling build the storylines element to it, and get it to a level that it's easy to consume for the average person that doesn't have to know a lot about combat sports, oh, I know that guy, oh, that guy's going to box that guy, then you have the opportunity for celebrity one-offs to get in there if they're ready to take it seriously. I wonder if you can start, make something there, and then start to say, look, we're open to anyone, anyone that wants to come in here and fight for our title, any skill level, if you're good enough, come in here. I wonder if that's that's where they can make a mark in a sport that, unless you're willing in boxing to come in with a lot of money and you're willing to lose it all, it is hard to to. Yeah. to, to I'm going to say this: asking anything. MMA fans to watch boxing and then pay for it, very difficult to do. Well, if they took all the all the money and, and effort they're putting into slap and put it into Zufa boxing, I think it'd go. <laughs> Maybe I so. I think it really would. And I think I think Jorge just showed with this event that you can do it. You can do it decently. It was wasn't it better than Triller and a lot of this other bullshit? Yes, seen? certainly better than that. Yes, no doubt. I, I, again, it was not bad. The question is, is it financially viable? And again, in the in the very basic sense, do MMA fans want to watch and pay for boxing, even with fighters they like more? I am just very skeptical. Okay, well, that's look, true. coming out of this. This Jose Aldo fight do, was, was. It's not my fault. We do have. We don't have. We-
built this zoo for boxing thing and you had UFC Fight Pass where you could put it on pay-per-view and you have connections with now all these other partners and you can promote it through WWE as well. I mean, you can do a lot of things with it. What if you, you got Conor and Jose to box? You know what I mean? What if you did Conor Floyd 2 under the Zufa boxing band? Conor's you big said, enough to make it work. And you but... said, okay, Conor, you want to box? You want to do these big things? You want to box Jake? Well, it's got to be under the Zufa boxing brand, and we're using now you know, Endeavor and WWE and all our arms to promote it. I'm saying, <laughs> Luke, they have built the infrastructure for this yeah, to work. True. This new company of WWE and, and UFC together is meant to dominate the live combat space. It's still such a thin, narrow slice of that would make it work, though. Like, of all the entire pie of available fights you could make, the thinnest slice is the one you can yeah, make Yeah, but think of how many, just slice. to close on this, think of how many UFC fighters are building up their own brand within UFC but not getting the money they want, and then they start talking about, man, I'd love to box, because they're thinking, I'd love to take my star value that I've built, bring it over here, and finally get paid. If, if UFC can create an area within their own their own ethosphere here, Luke, so somebody doesn't have to go across the street and they can do that here, then you keep everyone happy. Yeah, well, I don't imagine that Zufa Boxing is going to pay what other promoters might. I mean, if, if past is prologue, they might be stuck in contracts that no longer sunset the way that they used to, which we've talked about the changes since 2017, in which case they, don't, they might not have much of a choice. But I think as long as they have choices, they're going to choose elsewhere. Again, I am very skeptical MMA fans are going to pay to watch boxing. Just... Not going to happen. If you use people like the names we're talking about, it's a good, it's way, it's a it's good way to lure them in and All right. try it. we got to move along because we, we only have the studio for 20 more minutes. So, BC, very quickly, UFC 287 is this weekend. Very exciting pay-per-view. A great pay-per-view. It's well-matched across the Really well-matched. BC, give me the storyline you're watching the most as we head into fight week. I don't. I don't like to take that. But remember that 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 line Chuck used when we sat down for it's the pre-game. It's the only thing on my mind as well. It's it's the whole line of like leading into the the last fight between uh, Adesanya and, per and Pereira, at, you know, November in Madison Square Garden. We were talking about finally, Izzy the superstar, his villain, you know, from his past was showing up, and it was going to be the Izzy story. And Chuck said, "Well, what if it's really the Pereira story?" And right. now that he's got three victories over Izzy, including two come from behind, and the fact, Luke, that two stoppages. Yeah, and the fact that like he has almost no MMA experience and makes this transition almost in like a Brock Lesnar-like way to just come on the scene. And obviously having had history with Israel, it sped up him getting a title shot, although he won the fights he needed to, and it helped that Izzy kind of cleaned out the division. And the, the, look, the timing was perfect. But he came in there, he stayed the course, he got the knockout win. I hate to frame things, we're always from the podcast standpoint, always trying to say, well, does this make him the third greatest middleweight if he wins? Like, no, people are sick of that, Luke. But it is interesting that just recently, Izzy was like literally on the verge of knocking on the door of immortality. Not just being a, a great and one of the greatest middleweights of all time, but becoming a all-time great. We were talking about him moving up to light heavyweight and winning that, and then moving up to heavyweight and fighting John Jones to try to become MMA elite's first three division champion. Okay, then he lost to Jan Blachowicz. He did come back and defend his middleweight title three more times. But Luke, I really wonder now if this is the the Poetan Pereira story, and are we heading in? I mean, I mean, if Izzy, who, who, look, he's already accomplished enough that he's in the history books. He's already a great. But if he loses twice in a row right now to his longtime rival, how much does that put a ceiling on his, on you know, on on the totality of his once bright? We could be looking at the greatest striker this sport's ever seen, and you know, and look, that middleweight run is super impressive, but. Two in a row now, this story will be all about Pereira. I mean, what he's, he has eight pro fights, Luke, in MMA. All right? I mean, you know what I mean? Like, he lost his debut, and then he won a couple, and then he took four years off. And he watched Izzy become this thing. Yeah. And then he come in there, and he 
took it. It doesn't undo for me. I said this to, to Chuck at the time, and I still do feel this way. It doesn't undo the spectacular run that he had. I mean, remember, dude, he went in there in Australia in a hostile crowd and finished off Robert oh, Whitaker. Dude, that, and remember he danced beforehand? Yes. Like, none of that goes away if he loses. That, to me, is still very special, very remarkable. And the names and, in a row that he beat, if you read them out in a row, crazy. you're like... It's crazy. And yeah. also, I want to say this, like, whatever happens on Saturday if, if, if Pereira wins again... Izzy is a major contributor, I think, to the growth of the Oceanic region sure, sure. in MMA and in kickboxing. Like He played a role in really lifting it and creating some huge rivalries and some big fights. So no matter what, nothing there changes. But it does change, obviously, the narrative if he loses again. By contrast, though, BC, what if he actually pulls out a win? And I want to point out something here. Like I've, I've obviously had a very good relationship with Izzy for a long time. Reached out ahead of time, couldn't hear back. I checked out uh, to see it was an MMA hour because obviously Ariel gets all the best guests. He's not on there either. Now maybe this, he, th this seems pr calculated radio silence. Yeah, like now maybe he, maybe Ariel will get him, or I'm sure yeah. he'll do some media that's mandated. But he's not doing nearly as much well, look, media as he did last time. As much as we're, be I'm being over aggressive in setting that that you know narrative tone of saying, well, what if he does lose now twice in a row to this guy that that would have had his number now four times across two sports? Is he not that you know? All, all, all time great that we thought we were. The reverse on that is if he comes back and wins it and redeems Tremendous. it, then it's it's you know it's what Usman tried to do and couldn't against Edwards, although he came close. It's what the greats though, you know, Amanda Nunes against Pena, GSP against Sarah. When you get that second chance, I mean, you know, Cain Velasquez after getting knocked out by JDS and then coming back and right. and, and getting two. Although he was dominant. injured, and that's different. Still, the, yeah. the whole idea of like the the great ones come back. John Jones came back after that long layoff and sat on gone and he won a second title. I mean, the great ones do it. There is that pressure on. So that's the biggest storyline, I think, without question, Luke, is the whole idea of, of it's like, Luke, I rewatched that fight again, right? The, the, the one at, what, UFC 281 recently? Mm -hmm. so, you know, dissimilar to, uh, you know, I never really meant it when I said that Leon knocking out Usman with a fifth round head kick, you know, there's some luck involved, but, but there was. Yeah, there's not that degree in the Adesanya loss. You know what I mean? Yes, if there were 10 more seconds in round one, Adesanya probably wins by stoppage. Yeah, he might have, yep. But it was a gradual development of things that were happening that, that you know, in the end, Styles make fights and in, in, in Izzy wasn't able to make Pereira pay for his lack of experience and lack of grappling skills. But, Luke. Um, well, he made him pay for one round, but true, not True, but enough, not enough yeah. to like truly make it pay. But dude, this the, the Alex Pereira story is insane. It's crazy. Dude. It's I mean, it's insane. In one, I've never seen anything quite like it. And and look, I think Izzy's a slight betting favorite in this rematch. But uh, double but check, you'd yeah. be crazy if you know what this is going to look like because sometimes people just have somebody else's number. Luke, does Pereira with the strong counter punching ability, with the ability with the ability like he did in that first fight to just put constant pressure on you? Luke, what? Who's better than Izzy when he's flowing? Nobody, right? Nobody. He can't flow against this guy. Nope. He, he can't. He has to. He has to stick and move, and he can't really hurt him. It's it's a, it's a difficult. This guy fight. doesn't go away. I don't think we say enough about what Alex Pereira did in that first fight. He did not go away. Like, Luke, if he's still if he's still walking him down in the fifth round of this of this rematch or this fourth fight between them, you could have trouble all over again. We don't know what this how this is going to happen. That is the crux of of my excitement heading into Saturday in Miami. And if you want to go there in the building, Luke, you better use your monthly rent payment. Uh, I agree. Let's do this uh, my bookie read, my friend. You're up first. Um, yeah, I was all into like passion, right? I know, dude. We have 15 yeah. minutes left in the studio. They're gonna. It's gonna be the best 15 minutes of the week. It's not me, everyone. I know everyone thinks. Well, I'm, Luke, we were me. talking about me. Alex Pereira, and he makes his long-awaited return against Israel Adesanya, doesn't he, Luke? That's right. Former middleweight champion Israel Adesanya and his final preparations for.
pronounce it, Adesonia, Luke. When it comes to betting on the UFC, there's a ton of value, as we know, in prop bets, like predicting how a fight will finish or how many rounds it will go. Getting started at AG and use promo code COMBAT to claim a welcome bonus up to $1,000 plus a free 150 grand March Madness Bracket Contest entry, although I would imagine some of that might be no longer available. People are like, BC, give me one statement to sum this up. If you want a sports book that gives you the most for your money, bet on this weekend's UFC 287 card and bet with my bookie. All right, bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. We no. want it to become your bookie, don't we? Luke? Yes, BC, we have a question to ask here. We can do the, we can't, we have two segments left. We can only have time for one. So, uh, Mikey, can we punt the. No, no, let's hit that. Let's hit that. We'll, we'll get through it quick. Let's go. Let's go. Okay. Uh, all right. So, Catching Lightning comes out. I think episode one today. I'll tell you. So Friday, April seventh. Friday, Luke, April seventh. Yes. Yeah. Uh, all four parts of this docu series on Showtime, directed by Packy <coughs> Dallas, will begin streaming on any Showtime platform. Sunday night, though, April 9th, will be the television premiere on Showtime. Four-part series, Luke, and Pat Candelis, by the way, was the same director of Outcry, the Greg Kelly story that, that we all enjoyed during the pandemic. Um, Luke, this is twofold here. If you love the story of one of the great what-ifs, what, what could have been, Lightning Lee Murray is that in UFC and MMA history, right? Mm -hmm. One of those great what-ifs. And if you like crime, true crime stories with uh, inter witness, interviews with the witnesses and you know CCTV footage of, of the largest uh, heist in British history, the equivalent of $92 million, yep. this might be the documentary for you. All right, we don't have time to play these clips and do DMs. We just don't. I think we do if we speed it up, Luke. So let's All right, go right so let's get it. to it. Pat Condellis talking about the heist itself, to call the flawless heist. It was. It was. It was flawless in the way they did it, which was one of the things that really interested me when we initially started looking into it. How does this happen? How does a place that the Brits describe as similar to Fort Knox, right? these guys get in and you're talking about like there's such a hollywood element to this right you see it again you know, like when you dig into it you're like how has this not been made into a movie yet you know you have prosthetic disguises you have these guys walking in you know it's there's a very heat type you know feel to this and tone and what they were doing with the weapons full body you know body armor in some cases mass right but the the extraordinary links that they go to in the months and months of surveillance and planning that they did is amazing it's remarkable i mean even the police and the doctor like we've never seen anything like this before this is the kind of mission impossible stuff that happens in hollywood it doesn't really happen for real in real life so this was such a unique case it was really amazing to dig into that um but you see in the documentary like this there's a flip side to that coin right where where the robbery itself went off amazingly well um and there's a lot to be said for that other things were not done well at all you know, but it takes it takes a special kind of person to say, hey, I'm going to take all, you know, 15 plus people hostage, you know, and and, uh, and bring a seven and a half ton truck in and spend an hour and 20 minutes robbing a place. You know, again, we don't see things like this happen very often, if at all. No, no. Luke, our producer, Mikey Mormile, called it the best documentary he's ever seen. It's really This good. is must-see. And to close here with Pat Candelis, you can check out this interview in full this week, youtube.com slash morningcombat, about the process of document, documentary making and all that, is you know the idea of how good could have Lightning Lee Murray have been if he didn't have visa issues, if he wasn't part of this $92 million heist. Let's hear from Pat Candelis, who interviewed all the big guns in UFC history for this one. I was shocked, actually, you know, because I knew he'd only done one UFC fight. In his career he didn't have very many professional fights 
It had hundreds and hundreds of street fights, which have all kind of become legendary. But I was really surprised to talk to Anderson Silva, who was his last professional fight, to talk to Pat Militich, who he was training with in the very early 2000s when Militich's camp was Matt Hughes, Robbie Lawler, Jens Paul, or Jeremy Horn, uh, Tim Sylvia, you know, uh, Tony Fricklin, like these amazing, amazing fighters. Everybody said the same thing. And then Remco Pardell as well, amazing uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu tacticianer in Europe. Uh, that, that Lee Murray was so good, that he was so talented, that he worked so hard, everybody thought he was going to be a champion, if, if not one of the goats. And I was surprised, like Remco says at one point, you know, I think he could have been the next Anderson Silver or Fader in our, in our industry. I, I had him repeat that because I was so surprised <laughs> to hear him say that. But it was something Pat Militich, I mean, I kept hearing over and over again, you know, so it was uh, it was amazing. You know that he did have that kind of skill level he did have that kind of talent and uh yeah if if only it had gone a different direction lee murray was good he was real i remember his career i remember his win over jorge rivera very clearly yeah i can't wait to get your reaction after seeing this whole thing and look if you're an mma fan if you're a true crime fan this merges together perfectly the breakdowns of all the stories, like the, the Tito Ortiz back, you know, street fight, all of that, with all those heavy hitters telling the story, Anderson Silva and on, it's, it's an impressive watch. Friday, April 7th, begins streaming on all Showtime platforms. The television debuts Sunday night, April 9th. Don't miss Catching Lightning. Uh, shout out to our guy, Pack and Dallas, Luke, big fan of that guy. So uh, let's close here. How about some lightning round? Yeah, uh, Mikey said no DMs. We're just going to ignore him. We're yeah. going to do a lightning round style. Sorry, Mikey, but we will, I promise we'll be done here very, very quickly. So let's get to it right away. Question number one from at Grand with just a bunch of numbers behind it. He's talking about how AJ might have lost his confidence after the first Ruiz fight. Uh, BC, any other boxer who lost their confidence in one night? Absolutely. Many times over. Sometimes losing your confidence ties in with taking a sustained beating. Think Meldrick Taylor and the very controversial loss to Julio Cesar Chavez was never the same at that night. David Loazzo um, versus Rich Franklin. David Loazzo was never the same. There's also that. sometimes it changes you. Think, um, look, Hector Macho Camacho, still a Hall of Famer, still an all-time great. But he was something and was a certain point when he met that that career-defining fight against uh, Rosario, Edwin Rosario. Even though he ends up winning that, that changed him. He didn't go after you anymore. He became a slick defensive safety first almost fighter with the theatrics the rest of the way. Countless times you can look back at a fight where you say it was never the same. But in this case with AJ, I do think it's much more mental than physical. Without right. question. Uh, you would agree. Without I would agree. Question. Yes, I would agree. At Doug.Stone, if you guys could learn one language fluently to help you better connect with and understand fighters from some part of the world, which would it be and why? Got to be Portuguese, right? For you, yeah. I'd love, I'd love to learn Spanish. And I try. ESPN used to have the free Rosetta Stone, and I tried, Luke, and I gave up quick. But I, I'd love, from a, you know, boxing and mixed martial arts as well standpoint, to Spanish, be able to yeah. easier be able to navigate the quick translations when you hear from a fighter or whatever. Dude, you, if you work in boxing, you <clears throat> almost have to speak yes. Spanish. Like, I love seriously. hanging out with with uh, El Diamante, Raul Marquez, because yeah. he can he can talk to anybody. He, that Spanish could just be shooting out. Now you almost you almost can pull that off, right? You yeah, can not, be... not as good as El Diamante, but I can get by. All right, uh, BC from at Daniel D again, seventy five million numbers. Have you guys thought about doing a resume review on Dustin Poirier? No, we haven't, but that's actually not a bad idea. Dude. A lot of people are His saying his career that. is so good. Did we do Gaethje? We may have. I don't think we did Gaethje either. I mean, can we take any of these ministers of violence yeah. and just rerun their, their, all their fights again? We were sure. talking about, he, remember, he finished off Alvarez, finished off Gaethje, <coughs> and finished off, who's the other one? Alvarez, Chandler. Gaethje, Chandler. All right, from at MXVRMR. Dude, what the fuck's up with these names? Do you guys think Usman will try to make a move to 185 if Izzy fails to regain the title, potentially? And, also, and assuming he doesn't get an immediate title shot, what would the route to get there be? Uh, he would get a pretty 
big fight at He would get a big chance. He would get a big chance. Um, I but, don't know what that's going to look like, though. I don't know. Okay, quickly. Usman versus Pereira. Can he win? Can he win? Okay, not, he, not would he win. Can he, he can, win? yes. But, look, I don't think he's committing anymore to the to the taxing, full-time, rise-and-grind style that, that won him the title. I don't yeah. think... And is it age or, I mean, or is it you bit. fall in love with your striking? And it's not that he's a bad striker, but it, when he's not going to release that bull, right, Luke? He can't turn the cage he, into I a China shop. He doesn't have quite the same uh, gusto that he once did, which like is Like people totally are always wrong. like, stop saying DC could have out-wrestled Stipe in the rematch. He's 40 years old and he's fat. Stop. <laughs> BC, at It's Not Cage Fighting, is Pereira the most opponent-dependent champion in UFC? Wow, that's a good question. That's a good question. Well, Nico Montano seemed like a pretty opponent. Well, on one. Yeah, um, but you get the, the theory of it. Look, sometimes yes, specialists or people can just fall into the, the right performance at the right time, and you're like, they're not a complete champion. They would lose against all these other guys. But t- styles make fights. Timing, make, it makes moments happen, Luke. Um, he got there, though. That's all you can say. Look, he, would, he had to go through Sean Strickland, and he went right the hell through him. So what else? That was, that was the top contender at the time. He got there, Luke. Yeah. And then he knocked the champion out in the fifth also, round. Also, McGregor had, again, not easy matchmaking, but he had very careful matchmaking Favorable, early. yes. To an extent, and then eventually just threw him to the wall. But I always but, throw in that when McGregor is willing to be a company guy on that level, which, like, I don't care if I'm injured, I'm still going through with the fight. Or my opponent fell out, give me another opponent right yeah, now. I don't Chad care. Mendes fight, yeah. Dude, that, like, when you're able to flaunt that and pull it off, you, yes, you'll get more opportunities. It's easy to say UFC, the C stands for Connor. We've heard that a million times. But, like, he also performed, he also fulfilled the, the obligations that come of a company man. And so did Chandler. It's not the easiest road to take, Luke. Some people think it's selling out, but it's also selling out every arena, right, Metallica? Friends uh, don't let friends get haircuts. That's, that's right. You're from, well, you're doing the VM, VH1 behind the music thing? Jesus. Always. In my head, always. BC, at Riggins32, does it make sense for Nganu to go all out for the AJ fight now? I guess. But I would actually say the Wilder fight would be better. Uh, I don't know which one's more doable, but well, if the if you can do a Saudi Arabia or something like that and get large money from actually, isn't Ngannou talking specifically with Wilder about the idea of doing it in Africa and making this a monster event? I've heard that. If you yes. can do Wilder in Africa, do it. But if you can't do it for some ridiculously large site fee in a foreign country, go to a soccer stadium and fight Anthony Joshua. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's there's a little vulnerability there. Like you can you could talk yourself into that, couldn't you? Yes. He get knocked out though, right? Yeah, uh, probably. Yeah. Meaning Frank. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Uh, at Scott Scott R. New, what UFC 287 prelim fight could steal the fight of the night? And we'll, yeah, we'll just leave it there. BC got a a UFC 287. Well, look, Kelvin Gastelum versus Chris Curtis is going to be fun fight. theater. Also, Great fight. Chris Barnett against Chase Sherman. I think Barnett is out. That could be sloppy fun. Why? He's out. Are He's you out. sure? Yeah, he got injured. He's out of that fight. Wow. Why do they always take from also, us? Also, for me, Kevin Holland taking on Santiago Ponzinibbio. Is yeah, that's really going to be a bet. Well, Rob Fine. Yeah, Nez is going to be. That's what's more main card. Dude, the but card is great. The card is great. Yeah. Um, How about okay. Michelle Waterson Gomez at 37 with a lot of losses lately? Resigned for like eight more fights. Luke. Yeah, so she can't go fight anywhere else. Yeah. They're doing. Are, are they doing that to combat the sunset clause? Yes. Change? Yes. Is this grimy or is this smart business? It's pretty. Both. Cool. The two are not mutually exclusive. Oh, by the way, MMAI has a new video out, Luke, that people should look at about Ngannou. When are you going to watch this guy's content? I Dude, think when it could I can change stop you. doing all these side projects. I think I it could to, change you. You know how long it took me to do this tank thing I'm working on? All right, at Von Bacall. Guys, how badass do you think Dana White's security team is? And furthermore, whose team would win in an all Donnybrook, Money May or Dana's team? Money May's bodyguards the are Dude, the largest Dude, Mayweather's, of all time. A, a, Mayweather has significantly more bodyguards, and they're way bigger. That's a silly. He question. has some of the like. Did you see that WWE guy? Almost, almost, whatever, almost, whatever that he was. He did a face to face with Daniel Cormier backstage at WrestleMania. Did you see that? No. Daniel Cormier's face came up like below the guy's moves, like right here, looking into his navel, basically. Um, like 
Floyd has that level large guys in his, yes. in his entourage. Yeah. Uh, question nine. This is a bad question. Okay. I don't really want to do it. Who's What's the most it? dangerous man in MMA? I don't know who is right means. now the most dangerous man in MMA? You. Uh, to then, himself or to uh, in yeah, the fight? To, yeah, who, to, dangerous to who? Francis Ngannou? Or is that no longer true? Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I think dangerous, like who's going to knife you in the alley? That's what I want to know. I'd take Patricio Pitbull in the street fight against anybody. You know, like, think about this. Like, who's most... Gamebred's still got a, got a case, like, all-around dangerous. he got a case. And by the way, DC's sit-down interview he did with Brock Lesnar backstage at WrestleMania is the only interview Brock did. Shout-out to DC. That was a good-ass interview, so watch that. Our boy Brett did the, uh, the, home, the home ride with Jorge in Miami. You know, I went behind. That's cool. Uh, all right. Uh, you're, like, you're like, fuck, Brett. And I'm like, no, stop no, that. I, you know? I, dude, I'm just not going to watch Damn. it. I don't have time. At Camo KTV, Luke, do you think BC could create a five-minute stand-up routine and actually get laughs? Not only from the crowd, but also you, Luke. Could he make you laugh? BC makes me laugh all the time. Um, but not I, in planned bits. I'm, I'm a reactional. I'm, I'm a, do I'm I a, think you could do a five-minute stand-up routine and actually get laughs, not just from the crowd, but from me? Not many of us can. There's only a thousand of us who can on this world, Luke, okay? <laughs> Skits and bits. <laughs> Skits and That's bits. not my comedic gift, right? I'm a counterpuncher. But have I not pitched for the next doc that I don't know if ever is going to come out the idea I think, of going to an open okay. mic? Here's what I think. Here's what I think. Going we have, all we have like literally a minute left. Here's what I genuinely think. I think you could create five minutes and your first five minutes would be abysmally shitty and you would bomb very You don't think bad. I'd pop the crowd a little? A little. I think you'd probably have one or two good ones. Don't Hold forget about this. Let me finish. I don't care about your anger at all. It's not anger. It's just forcefulness. There's a big difference. But I think you could make a good five minutes with a with like a little bit of like if you had f- ten opportunities on stage by the end, I actually think your five minutes would make me laugh. Oh, your first rough draft five minutes is would- ass. It's terrible. You're gonna be a failure. Yeah. Great. Thanks. I don't even. Yeah, that's fine. I, I can't. Yeah. This is the pep talk my parents gave me. <sighs> You're gonna be terrible. It's gonna suck. Just go do it. I anyway. thought I would look fit in this. Turns out I look fat. Luke. No, I ju- we just look old. Yeah, we can't. We, we can't. Old. We can't dress this up any better than this. Okay? This is really. You know what they should do for when the Phil DeRue interview comes out? They should just put a bleep mark over my my pasty legs and just not show them to the audience. They are pasty. Uh, Let's remind everyone, we have a ton of stuff we're shooting today. A ton of stuff we're shooting tomorrow. By the way, Wednesday, because we're in Miami, BC is going to eat a Colombian hot dog on air and give us a... A review. Liver depending, if I can make it through. This was a my wife special. My wife's like, get BC to eat a Colombian hot dog on air. See what he does. I'm like, okay, we can do it. We're in Miami. We can go get one. So That lady puts up with you on a full-time basis. I'll back her, all right? Uh, Let's remind everyone, morningcombat.store for all of our merch. You can go check us out there. We have tons of stuff coming your way. We've already shot some today, Wednesday show, and everything in between. We're sitting down with some big A-listers in the game. And uh, it's going to be great. So thumbs up on the video. Hit subscribe. All that good stuff. Email the show, morningcombat at gmail.com. We'll get to fan subs and have you seen this nonsense a little bit later. We're running out of time. We have to go. All right, this is it. We're in our limit. That's Brian Campbell. I'm Luke Thomas. This has been Morning Combat. Thanks to the folks at CBS who hooked us up today with the show. Shouts to Malka and Showtime. We'll see you guys soon. And, uh, yeah, that's it. So until next time. Yeah, loyal gains and stuff like that. Yeah, may all your gains be loyal. Bye, y'all.